This is the Horse Radio Network. I'm Emily Esterson from Coverside Magazine, the magazine of mounted fox hunting. And I am Tara Tibbetts, back in Fort Worth, Texas, and you are listening to the monthly fox hunting episode of Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for June 29th, 2019, episode 2207. This episode is brought to you by Coverside Magazine. Good morning, horse world. This is the special episode about fox hunting. It comes to you the third Thursday of every month, and we are excited to be back to talk to everyone about summer fox hunting adventures. And coming up on this month's show, Renee Daniels Mantle, MFH of Big Sky Hounds, talks about fox hunting in Montana. Sounds like a beautiful sky to me. And then Stephanie Phillips joined MFH and Huntsman for the Rocky Fork, Rocky Fork Headley Hunt in Ohio. Talks about some summer fun summer season events that they have to keep them all busy and happy. So stay tuned for the fray. So Emily, I think you should start it off with your um, your fun trip to Virginia. Well, it was a fun trip. It's always a fun trip to Virginia in May because it's all kinds of fun things happening in Middleburg. There is, of course, the Virginia Hound Show, which is the the sort of flagstone event of hound season, hound show season. And that happens usually um, the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. So of course I went to that. And as usual, there were beautiful, many, many beautiful hounds and many, many beautiful people wearing big hats. And I watched a lot of the action of all the hounds being shown. And if you've never been to a hound show, it's really, uh, it's really a lot of fun. They're, they're usually, uh, five rings or four rings. There's the American ring, the crossbred ring, the English ring, and the Penn Merrydale ring. And they have judges from all over the country who come. And all the hunts set up these tents around the ring where they kind of set up their their little HQ. And they have lunch and they have bar drinks and people sit around and you know, yak away and watch the hounds and people come and go. It's really a lot of fun. And there's also some good shopping. So, um, so my week, my weekend, since I live in, um, a wasteland of English tack and riding apparel and particularly fox hunting apparel. So on Saturday I went shopping a lot. Oh, did you, you have to tell us your haul? Well, you know, I was pretty conservative this time around, but I've done done worse. I've done more damage than I did this time, but you know, I bought some gloves and I tried on some scarlet coats. I didn't find anything that fit me perfectly. So I passed actually, that's not true. I found one that fit me perfectly, but it was so heavy that I would die in it in New Mexico hunting. It was just way too thick. So I'm still on the hunt for that. Um, tried on some boots, looked at some saddles, you know, and well, I think one thing that people may not know is there's a lot of fantastic secondhand shopping around Middleburg, if I understand correctly. Well, Middleburg Tech Exchange is a mecca for that. Um, it is a small storefront, uh, one block off the main street um, in Middleburg, and it is just packed full of stuff. And you've got to go in there with sort of, you have to go in there having eaten lunch and being very calm and take the time to dig through all the racks because you never know what little secret hiding goodies you're going to find. And in fact, the last time I was in Millburg Tack Exchange last year, I found a pair of beautiful hunting boots that were actually men's boots that fit me like a glove. And I have gigantic calves and um, I either have to have customs or I have to buy men's. And these were these were fantastic. And I was just so excited. And then I came back and everybody's like, those boots are great. And I'm like, yeah, you're not going to believe how much I paid for them. <laughs> well, and I know so, cause like a lot of our members who go to the hound show for the first time and they're new to fox hunting. Cause it can be kind of intimidating when you feel like you have to buy all that stuff right away. And Middleburg tech exchange is a wonderful place. And I know you can call and they will help you over the phone too. Yes, that's true. And there's another place that not as many people know about um, called Saddlery Liquidators. 
that is basically a giant warehouse of leftover stuff from retail stores. And a lot of it is really well-priced and it's in really good shape. And they do have some fox hunting tweeds and they have tan breeches. And so you can kind of get the newer stuff there at, at a good price because it's, you know, leftover from other tax stores. So, and that's in um, Haymarket, actually, which is kind of up the road. But you can do a nice little triangle of shopping there in, yes. in the Middleburg area. You can go to uh, Haymarket. Then you can go to Horse Country, which is, of course, the upper end. Beautiful store. Gorgeous things in there just to die for stuff. And a lot and of bespoke you, items there, right? A lot of bespoke items. And just like if you are... If, you know, budget isn't an issue, horse country is just the greatest shopping ever. It's just beautiful stuff. And she really curates it in such a wonderful way. Like there's great art, there's great dishware, there's, you know, towels with fox motifs. There's a really good book section. If you're interested in reading about fox hunting, she has a pretty complete book section and um, all just kinds of all kinds of stuff, and then she has a lot of good horse tack and and equipment as well. So, um, and then you go to Middleburg Tack Exchange, and then there's also another tack store just down the street from that called the Tack Box. So, so lots fun. of good, lots of good shopping. And the day before that, the new MFHA headquarters opened in Middleburg. And this is the first time the Masters of Foxhounds Association has actually had its own building. Um, a standalone building. It's been, it owns a property and it has an office, but it's kind of a private farm type deal. And the building was decorated um, in a beautiful fashion with lovely portraits and fox hunting art. And it's just really nice. And if you're in Middleburg, um, stop in because it's just worth, it's definitely worth seeing it. It's a historic building. It was supposed to be the Middleburg Museum didn't actually end up becoming the museum. Instead, MFHA bought it, but you can kind of get the idea. You know, it's a historic building. There's a great Civil War story that's attached to it about who lived there during the war. So anyway, it's it's definitely was really fun to go to see that building finally finished after a couple of years of fundraising and and um, development and renovation. It was in bad shape. They renovated it, and it, it really is wonderful. So, Does it have a museum aspect to it, or is it just an office? It has a public space that will be a museum, and they're going to have um, the first art show they're going to have there will be in October, and it's the American Academy of Equine Artists show. And every year the the show, it rotates around different places and different artists. And this year it'll be at the headquarters building and it's um, organized by Booth Malone, who's an artist himself and he's, he's done a wonderful job. And so that those paintings will be hanging. And I think, I think it'll be open to the public for people to look at. So, you know, and it's interesting. I was, I was at a family function this past weekend and, um, one of my aunts and uncles live around Baltimore, Maryland, and I guess I have two uncles over there and we were talking about, you know, you know, you know, everybody says in family, you need to come visit. And I was like, yeah, you know, Middleburg's kind of a, a Mecca, so to speak for fox hunters. And they just looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, you didn't know that. And, and my family's all pretty horsey. Granted, it's kind of more Western, but they had no idea that Middleburg was what it was. And they looked it up online and it was just interesting to see their amazement. So I think they'll be making a visit. Yeah. It's, it's really a fun place to walk around. And you know, that weekend, the same weekend, I didn't do it this year, but I have done it in the past. They have a stable tour and you can go to all of these beautiful farms around Middleburg. Um, some of which are quite famous and just kind of walk around like open houses. And that's really fun. So, um, that's a fun thing to do on Saturday too. So, and, I, and along with that, I have to, I have to do a plug. Our a former guest, Ashley Hubbard, um, his hunts hound was grand champion hound of the Virginia hound show. That is true. Green spring Valley, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah was it Saf? What was the hound's name? Do you recall? Oh, I do. I do. I have to look it up. I can't remember off the top of my head because it was two weeks ago and I have a brain like a sieve. 
So. I can't believe it was two weeks ago. It feels like it was a month ago, but so that was pretty exciting. And I saw some pictures of the opening of the new headquarters of Daphne, an, another former guest who was on our last episode. So I thought that was pretty fun to see some familiar faces from our previous episodes. Yeah, Daphne um, is pictured, I believe, in some of those pictures with the interior designer. And it was very funny because they were both wearing bright yellow. And um, it was just, it was really fun. Did you find the hound name? I feel like we have to say it now. Um, I can look it up. Hold on. I think it started with an S, if I remember correctly. But while Emily's looking that up, I um, I think I mentioned it on the last episode. Well, yeah, I was in Montana. So the weekend before the Virginia Hound Show, which every year kind of happens where I, I have these grand plans to try to make it to the Virginia Hound Show, but there's always this big event in my hometown that I go home for, and it just so happens that this year there was some fox hunting happening in eastern Montana. So I can't um, express how wonderful of a time I had getting to fox hunt in my hometown um, this past May. And they hunted, I think, three or four times in eastern Montana. We'll, We'll be talking to Renee later, and she'll go into more detail. I wasn't able to get up there quickly enough to go on all the hunts, but I did get to participate on one day. We went and moved cattle for a gentleman who was actually a friend of my my family, both my mom and my dad's side of the family for a long time. And it was absolutely fantastic to see probably 25 or 30 riders in English saddles moving cattle out oh on the, <laughs> the rugged landscape of eastern Montana. And I took my off-the-track thoroughbred, which he, he'd seen cattle before, but he'd never moved cattle before. So he was a wonderful sport about everything. And... Um, I didn't get a good picture of it, but I've ridden in some pretty rugged landscapes around Montana moving cattle. I've never ridden up a hill like we rode that day that we moved cattle. Thankfully, the cattle were older and they had been, they kind of knew where they were going. They knew to follow the trail because with us being kind of the blind leading the knowledgeable with the fox hunters not really quite knowing what we were doing or where we were going. Um, those cows just followed that trail and went up the hill. And uh, it was one of those that if you were walking on your feet, you could have reached out and touched the hill in front of you. And if you looked backwards, you kind of got sick to your stomach because if you fell, it wasn't going to go very well. Um, but we did that one day and a lot of folks had never moved cattle before. And then we fox hunted and it was 85 the day we moved cattle. It was about 70 and windy the day we fox hunted and then it snowed all weekend. So wow, you timed that right. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It, it was, I, I drove home to Colorado Springs. I didn't know this as I was driving back to Texas, that literally the highway was closing behind me. So they got 20 inches of snow in, in Fort Collins or no Colorado Springs. Um, just as I made it to Pueblo to spend the night. So it was, it was an eventful drive back needless to say, but super fun. It was an amazing experience. Wow. That's so it cool. sounds it sounds cool. It sounds really cool. It's on my bucket list to get up there and, and hunt with them. It was the plan great. is it to was... go back next year. Okay. Well, I'll put it on the calendar. Yeah, and, and one thing, and I'm sure Renee will, will talk about this, but the thing I was really shocked by, um, there were people from literally all over the country, Virginia, Tennessee, California, Texas, Nevada, you know, a small handful of people actually hunting were from Montana. So it was, it was definitely a coming together of all kinds of different people. I'm just going to put it out there. There's just a small handful of people in Montana. Let's be straight. Oh yeah, for sure. (laughs) (laughs) So every human being who has an English saddle in Montana was there plus a bunch more. I mean, probably close, but (laughs) You know, I have to say that is something really um, unique about fox hunters is they get out, you know, they get on the road and we do it. I mean, we've driven 13, 14 hours to hunt with another hunt. And, uh, you know, I think some horse show people do that, but, but, you know, you're just just not the same. It's really, you know, I I've grown up showing horses both in the quarter horse world and now I show hunters and man, fox hunters are 
they're, you know, if you make a friend everywhere you go, everyone's helpful, everyone's kind, um, you know, and I think everyone is going to be just absolutely shocked to find out that I came home with a retired foxhound. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> just so, drop that bomb. What's his name? Um, it's her. And her. It, it's her name is Linda. And she's from Red Rock Hounds in Reno, Nevada. And we were we were riding in and she, you know, the pack really stayed together really wonderfully. And, and I was riding in the field. We really only had one field and she was kind of behind us. And, and Lynn Lloyd, who, who founded Red Rock is my understanding. I was, she was, I was riding near her and I was asking about this hound and she just was kind of bringing up the rear behind the, the field. And we had a conversation. She's like, yeah, she's eight or nine years old. And, and I was like, well, she, if she wants to retire and move to Texas, I could make that happen. So so, needless to say, I've got I brought a hound home, and she's been wonderful. Okay, so. English or American or mixed up? There, it's a, it's definitely a mix. And Lynn kind of tried to explain to me the breeding of the hounds, but I know that they're they're very much a mix of hounds, and and about a 55 ish pound hound, which is our hounds at Brazos Valley are much larger. I was say fifty five pound foxhound is a little. Between average and small, isn't it? Yes, yeah. I, I would say. Um, Emily probably knows better. I haven't been around much other than the Americans, but she's definitely significantly smaller than Catfish, my retired hound from Brazos Valley. And, but and what variety of crazy brown, white, and black color does she come in? She's pretty solid tricolor. She really looks like a big beagle. Oh. And and. You know, and I just never cease to be amazed and I will forever be a, an advertiser of, of adopting retired hounds. Just she rode in the backseat of the truck the whole 25 hour drive home. She slept in. I, I stayed in my horse trailer. She stayed in there, never barked, got her back home. She's like basically potty trained. She hasn't had any accidents. She gets along with my other 500 dogs perfectly. And it's been a seamless transition. Congratulations. It's, you Thank know, it is you. so, it's so true about foxhounds. That's like the untold story. I mean, they, they just adapt to house life in a nanosecond. Yes. You know? It's really, and, it's really amazing. They just like walk in, they're like, okay, here's the couch and here's the dog door and I'll never have an accident inside. And, um, yeah, let's go for a walk. Okay. That sounds good. Okay. And, now I'm going on the couch now. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah, you know, and as I think I've mentioned this a couple times, that we we currently live in our barn because our house is being renovated, which the light is at the end of the tunnel. the The contractor was here today when I got home with his cleaning crew, so we're doing the punch list this week, and I think I get to move in next weekend. But um, Linda did really quickly figure out that. I mean, you can sleep in a dog bed, but really, you can sleep on the people bed, and it's way better. <laughs> So when I had Dookie, I might have mentioned this before and stop me if I did, but when I first brought Dookie home, um, I I was in the shower. I, ma I made the bed, you know, it was in the afternoon and I was going to, I made the bed and, you know, it hadn't been made. And then I got in the shower and I came out of the shower and I was like, I swear I just made that bed. And there was Duke. He had like nested in there and like rumpled up the covers and he was like totally nestled in our bed. And I was like, Oh no, 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 you are not getting in that habit. Cause unlike Linda Dookie is a hundred pounds plus. So oh, yeah. he is a little bit big to yeah. be in, in the bed. So he, he now knows his place, but believe me, the second we let our guard down, he's in there. Oh, how funny. Cause yeah. we, we've had, Catfish used to get in the bed before he was blind, and he's about 90-something pounds. But the nice thing about Linda, at least, is she curls up into a little ball. Yeah. So we'll figure that out when we move back into the house. Yeah, you it know, all could where change when you move into the house. <laughs> the dogs have their own laundry slash dog room that's going to be equipped with lovely dog beds. But I feel like they're still... They're still going to want to... Wants, she wants the sleep number dog bed, I'm sure. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But I just, I, I forever am amazed at how well those dogs go from living in a kennel to living in a house. And they truly have never lived in a house before. Yeah. 
I highly recommend to all of our listeners out there in Horses in the Morning Land to contact your local hunt if you are looking for a dog to adopt because foxhounds rock. Absolutely. (laughs) I love foxhounds too. I do. And speaking of foxhounds, I think our term of the month is in that vein, isn't it? Yes. So our, our term of the month, and I thought this was kind of funny. So, and I've heard it in the field a couple times, but the word is riot. And that is a term that's used when hounds become disorganized and they run some animal other than a fox. And I'm sure. What do you mean when you, when you say they run another animal? So for us, and and it probably, I would assume it depends on the geography where you're hunting, but for us, and and we don't quite call it a riot, but we we hunt coyote on our properties, but sometimes the hounds might hunt um, hogs. Sometimes they, which isn't as big of a deal, we'll let them hunt hogs, but we would consider it a riot if they hunted deer or chased deer. Or in our country, it's rabbits. We do not let our hounds chase rabbits. And sometimes they get on a scent, sometimes they get on an elk scent um, because elk, you know, really smell strongly. And it's uh, the tricky coyotes in our country will run into elk herd to sort of disguise their own smell. Um, little guys, yep, that wily coyote. And so they, you know, they go into the herds and the hounds will sometimes get on the elk and we, you know, the minute a riot happens, you call them off instantly and hopefully they're biddable and they'll come on back quickly. So there we go. that, that's, that's a riot. Yes. And that's definitely something huntsmen, you know, spend a lot of time working on training the hounds to listen to them to, to, you know, to not riot. Well, why don't you, Emily, enlighten us a little bit about the, uh, the MFHA and what's up, what's coming up on the next cover side issue. Cause I can't wait to hear. So next issue, we're going to have a roundup of the uh, opening of the new building, which we talked about. We are doing a story about house hounds, which we also talked about. We have a really good, um, place a uh, really good story about dog disease and particularly tick-borne illness. And it's really interesting because some of the research that MFHA is funding is helping um, that cause in the human uh, in human research as well. So they're using foxhounds as research subjects for tick-borne illnesses that they are hoping will eventually shed some light on how to prevent those illnesses in humans as well. So lots and lots of really interesting research there. Um, and that's pretty much it, including the news and all kinds of great, beautiful art photos and, you know, the usual great magazine that we do. Um, blowing my own horn for a minute. Mm-hmm. Now, where, <laughs> so, can, where can people get Coverside Magazine? They can get it at mfha.com. They just have to subscribe or they can see the free version on issuu.com backslash e-covertside, E-C-O-V-E-R-T-S-I-D-E. So I'm very excited to have with us today Renee Mantle from Big Sky Hounds in Montana. And I had the wonderful pleasure of hunting with Renee in eastern Montana a couple weeks ago. So Renee, I wanted to have you on today just because anytime, A, I tell people I'm from eastern Montana, they're flabbergasted, and B, I tell them I went fox hunting there, then they think I'm completely crazy. So I would love if you would just tell us today kind of how this whole fox hunting in Mile City thing got started. And where and where you're from, okay. obviously, too. Like what hunt you're from, too. Okay, so I am from Big Sky Hounds, which is located just outside of Bozeman, Montana, in a little town called Three Forks, which is many hours away from Miles City, Montana, which is where I met you, Tara. And I guess to tell you the story about how Miles City came around, I have to tell you a little bit about the story about how Big Sky Hounds came around. And that started about 21 years ago, believe it or not. Because you don't associate fox hunting with Montana, do you? So 21 years ago, um, Red Rock Hounds out of Rio, Nevada, came to Montana because one of their members owned a hotel in the little town of Three Forks, believe it or not. And they decided to open up a some country up here and spend, uh, you know, three days hunting in Montana at some of our ranches. And it just happened to be that we have a business of leasing horses, rather large scale, so a lot of horses seasonally. 
our season begins on the 1st of May. They would come up at the end of April. So we were able to use our saddle lease horses to provide livery for their hunters. So that meant that hunters could come in from all over the world, and they did come in from all over the world to attend Red Rock Hounds meet in Three Forks because we had a lot of horses to provide. So they didn't have to haul from anywhere. That started 21 years ago and went every year since then. They had a meet and opened up a lot of country on ranches that were literally adjacent to ours and on ours. And then seven years ago, I was sitting at one of those meets, the last dinner on the last day, and I had entirely too much scotch. And Lynn Lloyd, who's sitting next to me, says, I think you need a hound. And Angela chimes in from the other side of the table, I think she needs two. And because I was mildly lit, I thought that was a great idea. And so the next morning, I woke up with two hounds and a hangover and the beginning of Big Sky Hounds. And that started seven years ago. So since then, we have grown considerably, obviously. And um, now I have what I now know to be called Couple, 22 Couple. Um, and my recognized hunt called Big Sky Hounds still. So Miles City, became, we, we hunt regularly. And Red Rock still comes up every April to hunt with us. And they have become... Um, mentors in in every sense of the word to Big Sky Hounds. Really great partnership there. They're wonderful. Um, so three years ago, um, I am delivering hay with my husband, a semi-load of hay to a rancher out in Miles City, actually north of Miles City, about 30 miles. And we're, we're traveling through this amazing country. We stop at his corrals and start offloading hay around, and I'm literally drooling because the country is just ripe for fox hunting and he is the greatest guy and I just I just couldn't help myself and I asked if we could if we could maybe come and hunt there and he thought that was a great idea and I didn't even get out of the driveway before I was on the telephone with Lynn and Angela asking them if they would be interested in bringing their hounds up and hunting that country it's really big 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 country and I didn't have the kind of a pack that would be able to hunt that country properly they, of course, agree, and we started doing it three years ago. So that was always in April, and, you know, it was a very nice and easy hunt to have. Everybody loved it. We called it the Wild West Extravaganza. And then this year, for the first time, we pushed it back to May, and we coupled it with the Mile City Buck and Horse Sale, which is one of the funnest, craziest, wildest West times there possibly is in the West. And that's how I met you, Tara. So had you been to Bucking Horse before this year? I had no, I had not. A couple of fox hunters from Virginia and Tennessee actually bought shares in a bucking horse while they were at that sale. <laughs> I don't know if you knew that. Did you know that, Renee? Oh, we we know Red Rock Rumble. Oh. Renee led the charge. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So that happened. Let me tell you a story about that, how, how that happened. And of course, you know, what? who other than fox hunters would go to a Mile City bucking horse sale and actually buy a bucking horse, right? And that right. was Lynn's contention. We were over at, in Reno a month before the bucking horse sale and Wild West Extravaganza, and we were sitting around once again, post-hunt and, and all sitting around gab, gabbing. And Lynn said, well, if we're going to go to, we're over at the, the Western States Joint Meet. And so Lynn says, if we're going to go to the bucking horse sale, we really need to buy a bucking horse. And everyone thought that was a great idea. And so we built um, a syndicate. There are 17 of us that decided we were going to get together and purchase a bucking horse for the sole reason that we could follow it around and root it on and call it Red Rock Rumble and and follow its career. And that's exactly what happened. I had some connections in Miles City in the in the in the stock contractor world. Um, on the committee for the bucking horse sale and and we put it all together and found a great horse and some great people that could run it for us how's his what's his record i have known nothing about bucking horses just so you know (laughs) well so it's a little it's a little early to tell but so far he is bucking everyone off so i think we made a very very good purchase our hope was that we would be able to get him into 
you know, some, some bigger named rodeo so that, so that he would travel around and maybe even make the finals. You know, that was always our, our crazy dream and maybe that'll happen, but we did get him into in with a stock contractor who does supply horses for the finals and does travel quite a bit. So we're really hoping that he continues to buck. Well, right now, you know, there was a couple week lag. We just bought him at the middle of May. So it hasn't even been a month that he's been out. So there, there was a couple week lag while he acclimated and went through quarantine. And then they put him on the circuit. I've seen one video of him last week. He, and it was the first rodeo that I know of here in Montana and he bucked his rider off soundly. So I would say he's doing very well. Well, and I got to say the kind of the, the funny tie into bucking horses, and I'm going to try to make this as brief as possible. So I was in North Dakota for this past weekend for my grandfather's funeral. He was 90 years old. He l- lived a long, amazing life. And we were going through all of his old things. Well, my family has a long history of owning auction markets, cattle auction markets in Montana, North Dakota, and South Dakota. Well, my grandfather owned with one of his brothers, the auction market in Miles city in the sixties. And he had a whole file folder of the, of running the bucking horse sale in the sixties. And some, I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying this, but some deal they were talking about doing with Disney to come up and film something. But I can't even put into words how epic it was for me to Fox hunt in mile city with all these amazing people from literally all over the country and then days later, go to the bucking horse sale, which has been in my family since the sixties. That's, that's pretty incredible. I think that's a, that's a great little tale, you know, of connections. I think you said you have 20 couple, where are you getting your hounds? Are you getting them from Red Rock? Are you drafting them from other hunts? Where, where are they coming from? For the first few years, I got them exclusively from Red Rock and I came into fox hunting with no prior knowledge of how to hunt hounds. I had hunted with Red Rock for a few years, and I had been to a few hunts on the East Coast. Hunting was not something that we do in Montana. It was certainly not something that I was exposed to very often. We had some friends who did it, but I didn't have any idea how to be a huntsman. And so Red Rock supplied me with some old, broke, sweet hounds that taught me as much as they could, more than anyone could. And that, so for the first few years, that's all I got. Now, recently in the last couple of years, we have started drafting from other hunts and then we did start breeding. So we got a few, we're, we're starting very slowly and carefully because I'm still a novice at this, but we're starting to develop what we think is the right hound for our country, our membership, um, you know, and our situation. Well, I'm curious too, because I know you hunted hounds in, in around Mile City, and I know Red Rock hunted hounds in Mile City. And it, is the terrain pretty? Is it more drastically different for the Big Sky hounds to go to Mile City, or is it a more drastic difference for the Red Rock hounds to go to Mile City? That's a good question. I think probably because I had never hunted my hounds anywhere in my own country until A, Mile City, and then B, this past spring in Reno. I think it's probably easier for Red Rock to hunt Mile City because it's very similar to the type of country that they have. It's very big. It's very open. You can get away from the real steep stuff, whereas most of the country I have here near Bozeman is relatively rugged, pretty mountainous, um, or foothills. Very little, you know, we've got some big, big open wheat fields, but it's not at all like that big grazing land that they have in Mile City. So I would say Red Rock Hounds certainly do much better, but then I have mostly Red Rock Hounds as well. So we both, we both get it. Yeah. Cause I, I, you know, I think, you know, people think of Eastern Montana. I tell people I'm from Eastern Montana and they think, oh, well, you're from the flatlands and I think that the, the the place where I went hunting with y'all and where we moved cattle when I was when we were up there, that's some of the most rugged land I've ever ridden. And I've ridden in the Badlands in North Dakota and South Dakota. I think it's very similar to the Badlands of North and South Dakota. And I agree that that when we hunted with you and that land that we got cattle on, that was, I think, the roughest that we had. You know, when I first met, went to the original ranch, it was much more open. And you could still get into it. You know, that, that country has such unique... Um, challenges. A, there's quite a bit more water there than either in Reno or here in Three Forks. And 
and there's gumbo and the footing isn't as good and it's a little bit more treacherous, I think. And it was really rugged at the ranch that we were on. We encounter rugged country like that here as well, but it's not nearly as muddy and gumbo-y. The the conditions are quite a bit different. So Renee, how, when you're talking about ranches, what you know, just a lot of our listeners probably don't even have an idea. I know Tara and I both live in the West, but a lot of our listeners probably don't even have an idea what, what that looks like as far as acreage. So can you give us some idea of the amount of country you're hunting? Well, for example, Miles City, our, our main fixture is 62 sections. And so for those of you that don't know what a section is, it's a mile by a mile, it's 640 acres. And that home ranch is 62 sections and almost all of the ranches that we hunt in Miles city are on a large scale like that they're huge the country that i hunt here um is smaller but the minimum amount of acreage that we would have here to you know properly chase coyote is about 10,000 acres minimum and are you are the is it fenced or unfenced and is it paneled if it's fenced and you know how do you get across the sections? Primarily unfenced. They're mm-hmm. mostly vast cattle ranches with very very few um, very very few fences. And if we do have fences, you know we'll put necessary. But for the most part, the riders, the members, and the horses are not familiar with jumping like you would in, in what you would think is the typical fox hunt. And that's why we call it fox hunting Montana style. We have a lot of Western riders. We hunt straight through winter in very, very icy conditions where you wouldn't take a jump, period. You just can't. So we have big ranches, big cattle ranches, open range, big, huge thousands and thousands of acres of wheat fields that are stubble fields in the wintertime. So, you know, I think that the vastness is, is is pretty incredible, but at the same time, it's not at all typical for what you would consider fox hunting. Yeah, I think all of our East Coast listeners are drooling right now. They're like, wow, <laughs> you got 10,000 acres, no fences. Because <laughs> just for the math of it, 62 sections is about 40,000 acres. So, yeah, it's a lot of acres. So, one thing that I was really... I would say surprised by Renee when I got to, you know, catch up with the group and meet up with y'all is there were people from all over Virginia, Tennessee, California, Texas, where does everyone come from and how do they find out about it? That's, um, I don't know how they necessarily find out about it other than I try to, I try to promote it and everybody who's ever come out here over the last 20 some years, you know, it's a destination and that's sort of how we capitalized how Big Sky Hounds capitalized um, on the network of fox hunters that exist because, you know, Montana doesn't know anything about fox hunting. And so anybody that I recruited or that was interested in fox hunting from this area, and that's really the backbone of any hunt is are your locals and your people who show up consistently. We were coming at it from a very, very um, naive, you know, base. However, Red Rock's influence is international and, and Montana Horses, which is my business, is also international. So a lot of the people that came and hunted and still do are come from all over the world. And, you know, we had annual horse roundups where we would trail horses in the weekend after Red Rock's hunt using the same horses that Red Rock would use and some of the same people that hunted with Red Rock um, trailing horses home over three days, you know, down 38 miles, very, very typical Western. But that also opened us up to BBC um BBC uh, newscast, PBS newscast about that event. I think that brought in a lot of international and national people interested in either Montana horses or fox hunting in Montana. There was just a lot of interest in this area. Big Sky Hounds is really relying upon it being a destination hunt because the population of Montana is less than a million people. And so when you think about that, we don't have a population base from which to draw that most places and most hunts do. Not all, but most of them. And as you move further west, you'll see that, you know, it's a little bit of a population draw. I look at Red Rock and they're not only located near Reno, but they're very close to California where there's quite a few people. And so their membership is naturally going to be a lot bigger. Whereas ours from the local aspect, A, it's completely foreign to them and B, 
there just aren't enough of them. So we do really look to getting our, our, our name out and our, our presence out nationally and internationally. And, and we even had, we had uh, one gentleman from England just this past year, and he's come for two years now for the Mile City deal. Yeah, he was delightful. And, you know, people maybe don't know this, you know, Bozeman is, Bozeman is probably the skiing mecca of Montana. If anyone comes skiing to Montana, I feel like they pretty much go into the Bozeman area. And, you know, I have a lot of family over there and I know that Bozeman is very much, um, there's a lot of people who have second homes. So do you find folks who are there for the season for the winter or whatnot that will join your hunts? Or is that something you're still working on growing? That is definitely something we need to work on growing and we must grow because it isn't a huge presence for us. Um, 35% of the homes in our county, Gallatin County, are second homes. That's a high percentage. So you're right. It is the recreational destination, both winter and summer. Um, because we don't hunt in the summer, we don't take advantage of most of the people who come to this area to horseback ride. We do try to get the word out. I don't, I don't, I think that is, that is certainly an area that we need to explore because it turns out that most of those people that have a second home in this county are coming from an area that is familiar with fox hunting and is interested in it. Yeah. Yeah. I know my, my cousin's husband builds homes and they're pretty much all second homes and they're all coming from back East. So I just, I think it's absolutely fascinating. So what's the future for, Big Sky Hounds, and then I'm selfishly interested in the future of the hunt in Mile City and its its presence going forward. Well, I don't see the hunt in Mile City doing anything but getting more popular and bigger and funner. We've made some incredible contacts with people that are that are locals in Mile City and are property owners in Mile City. Mile City is probably the most welcoming city I have ever been to in the world. They embrace us and we embrace them we just become family instantly it is an anomaly i believe in cities it's really an amazing place to be and i was pretty bowled over at the reaction that we have gotten as we've got to know many of the people that live there and how welcoming they are so i see us opening up even more country i see more people seeing what we're doing out there which is truly wild what we're doing is wild you know we're in these huge ranches and not only are we hunting amazing country but now we're we're going to bucking horse sales and we're branding cattle with the (laughs) local ranchers and we're gathering cattle you know at, at another guy's place and invited to these beautiful places to to rub shoulders with some of the most fascinating people i don't see it going anywhere but more popular and maybe to the detriment of it eventually i hope not but I see it becoming much more popular. And I love to share that heritage with people because that's really what Montana is all about. And that's really what the the Mile City folks and us here too want to share with others is is our heritage and our country and our way of life. And the Fox Centers are are totally fascinated by it and and want to be a part of it. Uh, As far as Big Sky Hounds, again, I only see it, it getting bigger and more popular as we gain professionalism networking and and as we become noted for exactly what we are which is nothing that you can possibly explain until you've experienced it uh they you know they say that the <laughs> everybody says that the west is the next great frontier for fox hunting because of the 40,000 acre ranches so and i'm in new mexico so we have the same thing you know we hunt 26,000 unfenced acres every saturday so it's the same kind of same kind of open space and a little bit crazy and a little bit fun. So we hope that's true. Yeah. I, I believe it is. You know, I've had quite a bit of interest from other hunts. They do see that the expansion and the future of fox hunting is in the West. It's going to be different. It's going to be a change. It, it can't be the same. It's, it's not the same, but in a lot of regards it is. It's the same people. It's the same concept. What I really like about the West though, is that it's a very welcoming it's a very welcoming environment to hunting in general, you know, hunting, fishing, trapping, hounds, hound work. That's, that's not a foreign concept to the majority of people who live in the West, especially in Montana and areas down here. You know, they're, they're heavy supporters of the right to be able to continue hunting. And so I see that the environment politically 
and socially is very friendly in the West to continuing fox hunting, where I see it's not so much on the extreme East and West coasts. Well, and as the populations grow and it gets more difficult to preserve land and whatnot, and, you know, obviously fox hunting is a huge proponent of that and, and, and maintaining the properties. But I just, I, I, I love the, I, in my head, I call it the mashup of the culture of fox hunting and cowboys that happens in, in Mile City and I'm sure also in Big Sky. And I'm hoping, um, man, if anything was really going to convince me to try to move home, this might be it. <laughs> but um, we're kind of running out of time. So I have to say, you know, tell us where we can find more information about you, Renee, and get, you know, find out about hunting in Montana, both at Mile City and at Big Sky Hounds. So the best place to find information is at bigskyhounds.com. And that gives you a brief idea about what we're, what we do, who, what we're about, who we are. And then it also lists all of the events that we'll be having. Um, my business is called Montana Horses. We're located at a beautiful event center, beautiful facility called Headwaters Ranch. You can also find information about Montana Horses at montanahorses.com. So I wanted to take the opportunity to talk about some events that were coming up at different hunts across the country. And I'll, I'm gonna, we'll include links in the show notes, so I'm not going to read a lot of websites here. I'm just going to kind of talk about some events. So Farmington Hunt has on June 23rd from 5 to 7, they have a Cars and Cocktails, which I think sounds lovely, at the Chisholm Vineyard. And FarmingtonHunt.org is where you can find more information about that. Harvard Foxhounds, they haven't published the date just yet, but in late July, they have a swimming hole day. And you can check, um, they should update their calendar at HarvardFoxhounds.com. We had a guest once who spoke about hunting with them. And Bull Run Hunt... I think that's a Virginia hunt. Is that right, Emily? Yes, it is. Bull Run has Saturday, July 20th. They have a hunter show. And then Sunday, July 21st, they have a trail ride. Later then in August, and we'll mention this again later, they have a moonlight trail ride. So that sounds really fun. And Bull Run is bullrunhunt.com. Or I'm sorry, bullrunhuntclub.com. And then Snickersville Hounds has a walk and talk trail ride every Wednesday uh, at 10. So it sounds like it's a morning event and they do, it's $15. They require a Coggins. If you search for Snickersville hounds on Facebook and it's just like it sounds Snickersville, which I think is an absolutely amazing name, but they do a potluck tailgate afterwards. So it's just an opportunity to do a little trail ride and learn a little bit more about Fox hunting with Snickersville. Princess Anne Hunt has a master's trail ride series. So we missed the first one back in June, but they'll have another one Saturday, June 5th. I'm sorry, Saturday, June 22nd, Saturday, June 29th. And the locations are on their Facebook page. So if you just search Princess Anne with an E Hunt on Facebook, you can get more information. And they require a negative Coggins, which is pretty, pretty normal. And then a $20 donation to the hounds. So that's a fun one. And then last, um, but certainly not least, um, potentially my favorite is the Hamilton Hunt Club Wine Ride Series. So if you search for Hamilton Hunt Club on Facebook, you can find some information. But they have Saddles and Spirits and a Gourmet Ride. And it looks like it's kind of, it's a two-hour ride with a gourmet lunch. And the next one, or maybe the only one, is on July 28th. So all kinds of hunts all over the country are doing fun stuff to invite people to come out, get to know the people who fox hunt and find out the events that they do and get involved. And if you're somewhere and you're like, I'm dying to try this and I don't know anything about it, how do I get involved? Go to any of those links or look up any of those hunts and find those events and definitely just go and meet people and Emily's going to introduce our first guest here in a moment, and they, she's a member of a hunt doing some fun stuff to introduce folks to hunting. There's so much to do in the summer. Hunt clubs are always active and looking to invite people to come join them and learn all about hounds. And we are going to welcome Stephanie Phillips, who's the joint MFH and joint huntsman for Rocky Fork Headley Hunt near Columbus, Ohio. 
So, Stephanie, I have heard rumors that Rocky Fort Headley Hunt has a great program to get kids involved and to bring fox hunting to the general horsey public. And I would love it if you would tell our listeners a little bit about some of the things you do in the summer to get people involved in the sport. Oh, that's really nice. First of all, thanks. Um, we have we have an awful lot of fun, as I think is true in a lot of fox hunts. And our, our sort of unofficial mantra is um, share the joy, which sounds silly, but is really how we feel about it. So we take as many opportunities as we can to <laughs> to drag the general public <laughs> into our little, into our fun. One of the things that we do um, every Wednesday night in June, we have um, a mounted hound walk that leaves from our kennels. Um, and we started doing that just so that members that wanted to do hound walking that um, can't participate in the morning could come. And then we, one year we added on a little potluck afterwards and the whole thing has continued to grow until now we have, um, all the riders are in the tack by about six 30. There's a group that goes off and exercises the hounds. And these would be people that are, um, already fox hunters, maybe on a green horse and they're showing they're introducing their new horse to the fox hounds or their whips or whip wannabes. And they're working, you know, to figure out how the hounds all work. And then we have a whole second group that goes off on a trail walk. And it actually is a walk because we didn't, we wanted to include everybody who thinks they might want to do this, but feels a little intimidated to come out either on a hunting day or even to work with the hounds right away. So we just assure them that we go out on a trail walk. It's a, it's a really pretty fixture and we have a wonderful, in fact, one of our field masters who takes the group out and, you know, sort of goes all over the territory and points things out at a walk. So everybody is comfortable. Then we come back and we have um, the club buys meat for the grill and the, the grill master who happens to be my husband has fired up the grill. And actually by the time the people, all the horses leave, there are people already gathering for dinner and he already has appetizers on the grill. So they eat like crazy while we're off riding. And then by the time we come back, there may be 20 or 30 more people there that have just come for dinner. And we sit around and, you know, talk about, you know, foxes and hounds and horses and hunting. And it's, um, it's proven to be a really lovely way to include people that are kind of interested that, you know, can maybe set their toe in the water or people would like to just come and meet hunt members and maybe dispel a little bit of the, the, concern that maybe we're not an open group so we have a ball and that that happens every Wednesday night starting in June until we start up our season and actually this year we're even going to carry it past a little bit when we start up our our actual um actual season so So how how many people are we talking about total end up showing up in the summer working anywhere from 20 to 50 people Wow, And, you know, a third of them, maybe a half of them will be mounted and the rest will just come in. It's so fun to come back from the ride. I always take the hounds out or myself or, or the other huntsman will take the hounds out. So we get back and it's so fun to see that the cars in the parking lot have multiplied. You know, that, <laughs> that they're in there, people out by the tables and it's sort of, it's always, you know, people bring whatever it is they want to drink, but there's always, you know, so there's wine and there's a big cooler of water and there's just, you know, everybody's just sitting out having a great time. So it's a, that has just turned into a really fun way to bring, you know, everybody from spouses into um, people that have an interest that, you know, might ordinarily not just show up. So anyway, that's, that's been really fun. Well, um, and I'm curious to know, we, how do you get the word out? Well, a lot of that is just, I mean, we have a Facebook page and, and we have a lot of people that follow it that are not members. And so we, we sort of put it out there. We also have, um, as fundraisers for the club, we run hunter paces. We have four hunter paces, usually three that we host by ourselves that are actually fundraisers for our hunt. Another one we participate in with a local park uh, district that we also that shares their property with us. We have a hunting fixture on one of them, but in any case, we have a large group of people that follow us on the, the on the paces. So they'll turn into the Facebook page for that information as well as for anything else that we put out. Um, 
we also have a pretty good um, email list that has as its core the PACE membership. We try not to overuse that, but we will, you know, we may make a general announcement at the start of the summer that, you know, here's the PACE dates and by the way, come and join us on Wednesdays, you know, that kind of thing. And then there's just a lot of word of mouth. Um, people get excited about it. And, and if they are talking to their friends or neighbors and they want to come, they drag them in. <laughs> it's, it's really, it's just a nice group of people. So what about kids stuff? Do you do much with um, trying to get kids involved like Pony Club and 4-H and local riding clubs and lesson programs? Or are you working that angle of it? We really try hard to. Um, we run into a couple of things. We have good relationships all the way around with our local Pony Clubs, 4-Hs, and a lot of the show barns. There's Some of the show barns are very they're very focused on the showing. There are other show barns that have a lot of kids where the trainers are very interested in sort of the cross training, you know, aspects that you could, you know, that fox hunting is or could be. So we work on them and we work on the 4-H kids and the pony clubbers. The biggest difficulty that we have during the summer is that their schedules are already almost maxed out. Um, a really avid pony clubber is doing rallies and preps for rallies and going to shows and doing, and it's hard to get a, a toe in the water. Um, the 4-H kids are working on their um, projects for fair. So what we try to do with them is that we will, we start in the sort of in the late summer um, and we start talking about set, telling them the days that we have set aside for junior hunt. So we may set aside three or four hunts that are in particular junior. Juniors are always welcome, and we always share that with them. But the hunts that the junior that we set aside as junior hunts, we just make a big deal um, out of them because, truthfully, we're thrilled if they come out. So we will accommodate anybody who wants to come. We'll outfit anybody with any piece of equipment or clothing they might need to have to come. We have a what we call the huntsman's closet that is just. It's, it's basically that it's equipment and gear and clothing that writers have stocked the closet with specifically to share with people that might want to come and join us, but shouldn't feel compelled to have to go spend a lot of money to buy X, Y, or Z to come out and stick their toe in the water. So we make a big deal about them. They, the juniors ride up right behind the huntsmen, the ones that can, the ones that can't um, ride in their respective fields. We even had one year we had a, we, we typically have three fields and we had a, we had a 3.5 field because there were several moms that had their kids on ponies and lead lines. <laughs> so we had, the, we had the whole range and, and really we do everything that we can think of to make them feel as cherished as they are. Um, I think, I think everybody understands that if, you know, if hunts don't include the junior riders, you know, at some point everybody's going to age out. So, um, so we we make them we make a big deal out of them, and we do a lot of calling. I mean, there's a lot of pick up the phone, call the people that you know whose kids are involved in Pony Club and in 4-H, call the their leaders, you know, um, get to know them, so that when we call and say, "Hey, Robin and Junior Hunt," we can get a really big turnout. Um, you know, they don't always stick in the sense of become members, but we'll pick up we'll pick up you know maybe two or three a year. Sometimes we get them as they're on their way to college, and, and the hope is is that we've planted seeds for another hunt somewhere else, you know, right. wherever they go off to college or, or whatever. So um, I'd love to say that we had, you know, 10,000 juniors. We don't, but we're working hard on it. Um, and we get a good response when we when we put the feelers out. So that, that Huntsman so closet. That huntsman's closet is a fantastic idea. Like, I, I mean, when you were talking about that, I thought, oh, why, are, why aren't we all doing that? I mean, we kind of do it in an impromptu way. You know, like we have somebody who has an extra helmet and somebody who has an extra coat. And, you know, we kind of do it in a very, like, casual way. But I think yeah. having an actual, you know, organized thing is really a great idea. Well, I think it makes people feel more welcome and like, you know, your, their, their attendance was planned and there's a resource for them to get the clothing. I think it's a phenomenal idea because we do the same thing as Emily. You borrow a coat here and some breeches over there. And, um, I just, I think that's amazing. Well, it, it, it is the idea is truly to make people feel as though this is, um, this is a welcoming group. 
and, and they can try it and not have to, you know, commit their bank account to it. And um, hopefully then the rest of it, you know, they feel as welcomed in all the rest of the aspects. We usually, anytime we have a guest, whether it's a junior, especially junior, but, but even when we have a guest, even if somebody brings a guest and says, this is my friend, you know, who wants to come, we still um, assign a mentor with them. So somebody else rides with them in the field as well. And it's strictly so that, and, and so they know that's the person that they can ask questions of. And that's the person that, you know, so that they will never have a moment where they feel, you know, where they, they feel stupid because they didn't know this, they didn't know that, as they always have somebody whispering in their ear. That has been a big help as well. You know, the whole idea is just to make people feel welcome. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. We we do the same. You know, we have, we always assign a mentor to someone and make sure everybody is comfortable and they're riding the right horse and they're in the right place in the yeah, field and, you know. Yeah, I think that's great. And I, yes, I think, I, I think that most hunts do that. I just, um, you, you know, you always sort of buck up or not always, but sometimes you buck up against the feeling that, oh, you know, hunts, they're very you know, elitist and they're this and that and the other thing. And we, as much as we love the tradition and we do, we love the clothes and we love the traditions and we love all that stuff. But we, you know, as much as you can love it, you can embrace it in a, in a very open sense, you know, yeah. and say, so the groups that we had a couple members that wanted to come and they came in their Western tack. And as long as they had a helmet on and boots, that was, that was fine. And they loved it. And without, you know, any, they were, they loved it so much. They were like, okay. And they sold their Western tack and bought all the English stuff and have just been dyed in the wool writers ever, you know, English writers since then. Um, you know, that, that was their that, yeah, that happens all the time in our hunt too. You know, they come, people come in their Western gear and within a, within a couple of years, like they slowly, but surely start like, okay, now they've got boots and breeches and they're still in their Western saddle. <laughs> and, oh, now they're taking jumping lessons and now they're riding an English saddle. <laughs> so, I, the English saddle is really intimidating for the Western rider. And so I think that, that what you're talking about, again, I just, I think nothing makes you feel more comfortable around a group of people than if you fit in a little bit. Well, you know, you come ride Western once or twice and then you have some clothes you can borrow and a saddle you can borrow. And, you know, like you said, the next thing you know, they're riding English and they realize it's not as scary as they thought it was. Well, Stephanie, so we've really enjoyed our conversation and, uh, tell people a little bit how they can find, uh, Rocky Fork Headley Hunt if they're looking for you and how they can get involved. And, um, and do you have a website and Facebook page and how do they get, how do they contact you? And I kind of want to know where that, the name came from. Oh, okay. Well, first of all, we have both. We have a, the Rocky Fork Headley Hunt Facebook page. Um, and, and you just like with a lot of pages, it's a closed group in the sense that you have to be admitted, but everybody's admitted who asks. So you just, you know, put a flag up on the page and, and you'll be embraced warmly. We also have a website, um, rockyforkhunt.org, um, to get you right in. And, and our website, I take no credit for this at all. We've had some fabulous people working on the site. So there are, there's a, um, a lot of information about hunting in general and then hunting that's specific to Rocky Fork. Um, videos, dress, um, all of it done with a whole lot of um, humor and sort of tongue in cheek, but here's the information. And um, anyway, so both of those, both of those resources, you can find us. Um, we are in the middle of our summer hunt pay, um, hunter pay series, um, which are always a lot of fun. Um, they're usually really well attended and I think we, we have it, without sounding untoward, we, we run them pretty well anymore. So people usually can come in and have a great ride and, you know, feel very accomplished and leave. And we get these special giant ribbons. So the ribbons are really fun. <laughs> anyway, um, we're happy to talk to anybody at any time. Um, truly Rocky Fork Headley Hunt. Um, it actually was a, a merger of two different hunts. Um, one that started in, um, Southern Ohio, more Southern Ohio, over a little bit south, well, towards Zanesville. There's actually an inn still there called the Headley Inn, and the innkeeper kept hounds for his guests. That covered that hunt covered all a huge territory around Zanesville. Then there was another uh, another group that started up, um, which is the Rocky Fork. 
club and it started up in, I believe in the Gahanna area, which is where our, our home, our home fixture is and where our kennels are. That hunt actually disbanded as many hunts did during the world war. But when it came back together, the two hunts fused. So and with maintaining the, the, the kennels at, uh, in Gahanna, Ohio, but it became the Rocky Fork Headley Hunt, and I believe that was somewhere around 1935. No, it, it is a little bit of a mouthful, but there it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. It's good. I didn't know that history at all, so really interesting. It, thank it you. I, I'm. Go well, ahead. You're welcome. Thank you. What I was just going to say, thank you. I I have enjoyed this myself, and I'm um, I'm glad you called. You can find Coverside online at www.ecoveredside.net or see our digital edition at issuu.com slash ecoveredside. That's with a T, E-C-O-V-E-R-T-S-I-D-E. Tara can be found on Instagram. Just search for T and Tibbets. Find the links to today's guests in the show notes at horsesinthemorning.com. You can follow Horses in the Morning on Facebook. Just search for Horses in the Morning. You can have all of the Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go with our free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. And if you miss the live show, you can still listen to the recorded version on our website, our affiliate websites, or any podcast player. You never need to miss an episode. Thank you so much to our sponsor, Coverside Magazine and the MFHA. Good night. Good night.